Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. On a recent visit to my daughter and her family in Mobile, Alabama, we drove a few hours from her house to a resort in Tennessee for a few days. Along the highway, they pointed out a sign that gave us a few minutes of discussion and amusement. The sign was obviously intended for people driving along that highway. My daughter and her husband had seen it before. The sign was to make people driving that way intentionally consider their spiritual condition. I was not sure that it had a proper and maybe even the right intended effect. It featured a large picture of a face that was obviously intended to be the image of what would be interpreted as the devil. Of course, no one knows what the devil really looks like, so it's quite impossible to draw an accurate picture of his image. But this picture probably combined all the artistic features that one might say are commonly attributed to the devil in regular use around the world including horns, small goatee, reddish skin tones, horns, the ubiquitous pitchfork, obviously perched nearby. Around this figure were the words that made us laugh. They read, go to church or the devil will get you. And that's all there was about it. Go to church or the devil will get you. I had mixed emotions about this sign. I have to believe that it was placed there by some well-meaning person or group of persons sending a message that was an attempt to get those passing by to go to church, to recognize this spiritual need. The threat being, if you don't, then you'll fall victim to that old dragon, the devil. The implication being, if you go to church, then the devil won't be able to get you. It's all nonsense, of course. Yes, the devil is a real enemy. One could say that people should go to church. But to say that if you don't go to church, the devil will get you reeks of error and fantasy. It's as if the church building is a magical place that will ward off the devil if you enter it. Mixed messages, erroneous conclusions, misleading implications. It is even possible that the sign and this message may be destructive and cause people to miss the truth completely. What do you think? When is the church the appropriate reference point? When we say the word church, what do we mean? The church can mean the building in which we worship, or it could mean the born-again, blood-washed believers who worship in that building. If we are referring to the latter, then a congregation will be made up of the saved and of the unsaved in any particular day. Those who have been born again and those who have not yet bowed to the claims of Christ as their Redeemer. The former are born from above. Jesus is their Savior. God, their heavenly father. The other group are of their father, the devil, the scripture says. So in the words of that highway sign, the devil already has them. Whether they are in a church building or not, where they happen to be has nothing to do with ownership or what the devil has or doesn't have. 
So go to church. But not to necessarily avoid the clutches of the devil. Christians have God as their father. They are redeemed. They are ambassadors whose goal is to proclaim Christ and to be conformed to his image day by day, irrespective of the attempts of the devil to interfere with that process. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I 
And now with this message for today, here's Senior Pastor Emeritus, Alan Lee. Greetings once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today we continue with our overall theme, The Signs of the Times in the Times of the Signs. Our passage for today is Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, in which Paul issues a warning about false teaching and false teachers, which, as predicted by Jesus as well as the prophets of the Old Testament and the apostles in the New, will be one of the major characteristics of the days in which we live. Now, in this context, we could also say that he is warning the Christian concerning the spiritual danger of adopting or following a wrong philosophy or worldview, that is, basing our actions on the wrong principles. Notice what he says in verse 8, quote, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principle of this world rather than on Christ. End of quote. Notice, Paul calls these worldviews or philosophies a philosophy. Now, the word philosophy itself means love of knowledge. So you might ask, what's wrong with having a love for knowledge? Well, really nothing, if it's the right kind of knowledge. The problem is that these Colossian Christians were being exposed to the wrong kind of knowledge. They were being fed erroneous, man-made doctrine and philosophy, ideas and concepts they conjured up themselves and then claimed that they came from God by divine or special revelation. Now, Paul states five characteristics of this kind of false teaching. First, he says it's hollow. In other words, it was empty teaching, void of anything that is truly worthwhile or edifying. So regardless of how it looked on the outside, inside it was hollow, empty, without substance. It may sound and look good and perhaps even exciting, but it couldn't save, sanctify, or satisfy one's true spiritual need. Paul said it was hollow. My friends, a lot of much religious teaching is like that today. It's a lot of fias, excitement, fervor, and even motivational and entertaining. But at its core, it's actually empty and hollow. There's just nothing in it that fits one for eternity or equips one to be Christ-like while on earth. I heard such a message this weekend by a well-known preacher who boasts of having the largest church in the U.S., He told his congregation that there's nothing wrong with them inside, no matter how they may have messed up. They are okay. It was not their fault, because inside everyone is good. Everyone is okay. My friends, this is just the opposite of what God says in the Bible. He tells us that all have sinned, and that if we say that we have no sin, the truth is not in us. However, the majority of celebrity preachers do not preach this message. They do not want to upset or disturb the false peace of their congregation, because if they do, they they will stop sending their seed money that keeps them living in luxury and enjoying the world's fame. In fact, I heard one well preacher actually preach on worldwide television that there's no need to preach about the cross today, because no one wants to hear about the blood and the cross and crucifixion. He said all they want to hear is how to live like kings and princes in the kingdom. 
My friends, this is just the opposite of what Paul says when he went to the Corinthians. Hear his words in 1 Corinthians 2, beginning at verse 1. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And in the context, that power is manifested in the preaching of the cross of Jesus Christ. We need more preaching of the cross, my friends, not less. Second, Paul says such philosophy or man-made teaching is also deceptive. Those who preach this message preach it for personal, selfish, monetary, or prestige-gaining reasons. The message itself is deceiving. It promises more than it can deliver and withholds more than it gives. It thrives on the spiritually weak and dependent person and professing Christian who do not know the word of God for themselves. These are whom the Bible calls itching ears hearers. They only want to hear what tickles their fancy and makes them feel good. But then third, these empty deceptive philosophies, Paul says, also depend on human tradition rather than the word of God. They arise out of the thinking of men that find a foothold in society and then are passed along from generation to generation so as to appear popular and widely supported. Racial prejudice and racism are prime examples. So are the ideas that one must earn salvation and that God excuses and overlooks sin and disobedience because one's situation is extreme or unique and more unbearable or intolerable than is true of others. All such erroneous ideas, my friends, are based upon and perpetuated by human tradition, things made up by man to satisfy his own needs and desires. But fourth, Paul says such man-made teachings also depend on the basic principles of this world. Now, there's a debate among biblical scholars as to whether this is a proper translation. The word for principle here is sometimes translated elements and literally means things in a row or things in a series. The word became associated with the alphabet because the letters in an alphabet are always lined up in a row. One learns the language by first learning the ABCs. Thus, some scholars feel that this word represents something that is rudimentary, simple, or elementary. In other words, basic principles is the idea. Other scholars, however, point out that this word is also used with reference to an army of soldiers lined up in a row, or in ranks, as in a hierarchy. These scholars feel that there is a reference to a fallen angels and that it is a parallel passage to Paul's statement in Ephesians 6, where he says, and I quote, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and wicked spirit in high places, whom he also calls the rulers of this world's darkness. In Galatians chapter 4-9, he calls them weak and beggarly elements 
and clearly states that the Galatians are serving those by nature who are not gods. Now, which view is right? Are these rudimentary, fundamental, or elementary principles of life that Paul is talking about? Or are they the teaching of the world rulers of this present darkness? Personally, I believe both viewpoints are true. As Dr. Ray Stedman explains, and I quote, Oftentimes, when a scriptural phrase has a double meaning, both meanings are intended. End of quote. I believe that this is true here. These man-made teachings that Paul describes fits the description of what Paul calls in 1 Timothy, doctrine of demons. They are elementary, rudimentary truths perpetuated by demonic powers influencing human beings, which have the effect of causing people to both teach and accept childish, spiritually immature actions and views of life. Here what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 beginning at verse 1. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Notice now, not things taught about demons, but things taught by demons. Now who are the mediums of these demons? Paul tells us in verse 4, such teachings come to hypocritical liars or deceivers, whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Now, what are some of these teachings taught by demons? Listen carefully now to what he says. They forbid to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. I believe that they concern things such as celibacy, shacking up, diets, all present in Paul's days. But isn't it amazing how up-to-date his words are for us right now? But have we ever even briefly entertained the thought that the source of at least some of these philosophies that are so common today may have their source in demons? I doubt it. We just don't seem to think either rationally or biblically today. For instance, when we visit Jerusalem, we readily purchase a piece of wood that claims to have come from the cross to bring us wealth or health. In the U.S., people would line up for hours to pay to see the face of Christ on a piece of toast for the same purpose. Elsewhere, people would be encouraged by high-profile personalities to touch their radios or TVs to feel the power of God coming through the airways that will heal them of their illness and pay their bills. Others would send for so-called anointed cloth, crosses or water, or some other magical spiritual fetish that would cure their ills regardless of their spiritual condition before God. All of this is representative of what the Apostle Paul is describing in these verses. It is childish, spiritually immature behavior based upon childish and spiritually immature thinking. The Apostle states very clearly that such philosophies are inspired by those who are themselves spiritually immature, whether they know it or not, and are influenced by what he calls the world rulers of this present darkness, wicked spirits in high places. My friends, this is also the divine explanation 
of the thinking and reasoning behind so much of the evil, cruel, and inhumane actions and behavior that human beings do against one another, even in the name of God, such as the suicide bombers in the Middle East. They do it all in the name of Allah. As one writer writes, and I quote, There is no other explanation for the evil of humanity that is in accordance with reality. Yet, that explanation is regarded by many as ridiculous and laughable. They don't believe in demonic spirits. Christians and others who do hold to it are often intimidated and do not want to admit that they believe in such things as wicked spirits in high places. But everywhere in the Bible, from the lips of Jesus himself and from the pens of the apostles, this is the clear teaching of the Bible. And it is also clear that such demonic activity will increase the nearer we get to the return of Jesus Christ. But there is a fifth problem with man-made false doctrine. Paul says, it is not according to Christ. False teaching in the cults, for instance, either focuses on demoting Jesus, refusing to recognize the full revelation of his person as it is set out in the scripture, or going to the opposite extreme, regarding him as being too high of a spiritual being to have any direct contact with human beings. But these cults never view Jesus as God himself, willing to die in our place. Any form of religious error, then, will have these characteristics. They are based on human tradition, they establish themselves as the only respectable doctrine to believe, and yet they come from the minds of satanic beings who cleverly but invisibly reduce people to childish behavior and immature attitudes, all to the end of setting aside the glory and the true character of Jesus Christ. Paul then begins to give his response to this, and his answer is not along the lines we would ordinarily think when confronted with false teaching. Most of us attack it and try to point out what is wrong with it, but the Apostle Paul does not do that in this instance. This is not the best way to answer erroneous doctrine. Instead, Paul reviews for the Colossian Christians what they already have in Jesus Christ. He calls them back to the truth and sets it vividly before them in five tremendous statements. However, unfortunately, our time is gone for the day. We will have to pick it up at this point next time, Lord willing. Until then, this is Senior Pastor Emeritus Alan Lee saying, Think and act on these things. It can happen in a moment In the twinkling of an eye It could happen in a moment He could break the eastern sky Though our hearts will feel unworthy from heaven when his blessed face we see you have been listening to Echoes of Calvary a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue we extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions if you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee Address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. 
And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. There forevermore to stay. The great commander's promise He will surely come again I am listening every listening moment For the mighty trumpet sound What a time we'll have together When the saints shall leave the ground And not toiling will be happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every moment, for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together, when the saints shall leave the ground, and our toiling will be in a moment Jesus Christ could come again